How's it going? And welcome to episode 140 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me at 80 Great. That's all spelled out. Kevin Hastings is at Hastings Kevin on the Twitter. Kevin, we are back again. We are, spoiler alert, we're going to play my favorite game again. We're got on a little bit of a roll. We're very consistent in our recording. We've got week in and week out new, new stuff to talk about. And now the news continuously rolls in. It's a nice stream coming through with just the right amount of news per week to talk about. <laughs> it's, it's a, and the, the winter meetings haven't even start, kicked off yet. Looking forward to seeing what we have to talk about. How you doing? I'm doing great. How about you, Adam? I'm doing good. That's good. You know what? You don't ever spin that around on me. I appreciate I that. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to take a sip no. of water and then you go asking me how my day is. <laughs> Kevin. Yeah. Um, no, I'm good. I'm doing good. Thanksgiving was, I was talking to, who was I talking? I was talking to somebody about my Thanksgiving and it was no different than your normal dinner with your family because my all my extended family lives a couple states away and we have dinner with my in-laws every sunday and literally that's all dinner was dinner with my in-laws and my sister-in-law just at our house <laughs> and i'm like with nice a t- nice tablecloth on the table <laughs> nice. how about Very you nice yeah we did similar i was i had to bite my tongue for a little bit during thanksgiving dinner because my, my brother-in-law and his girlfriend and her son came over for dinner. He's eight years old. But anyway, we didn't make mashed potatoes because they said they were bringing mashed potatoes. Per- oh, great, right? And then just... they brought mashed sweet potatoes. That's not which the same. Which is fine in addition to mashed potatoes. Yeah, but it's absolutely... not a replacement for mashed potatoes. <laughs> so not. I had to bite my tongue all the way through dinner. The first oh. thing Friday morning, I went to the grocery store, bought potatoes, and came home and made mashed potatoes to have with my leftovers. So my actual Thanksgiving dinner was by myself on Friday. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we my my sister-in-law is vegan, which is fine. We we found some really good stuff to make and, yeah. and on a regular basis with that. But she decided to make the stuffing, which, all right, fine. We would make the stuffing and we would usually do like a sausage stuffing or cornbread sausage stuffing or whatever. And we've made it vegan in the past, but we didn't make it this year. So I'm like, all right, fine. This is okay. But that means we also didn't get the leftovers because it wasn't <laughs> our dish. We make the, like the weekend after Thanksgiving had been like uh, the thing that we do every year. Our tradition was to make stuffing leftover stuffing waffles and they are absolutely amazing it took us a couple years i think to get it right to add a little bit extra stock add some binding ingredients in there but they were the best waffles and i was disappointed that we weren't able to make our post thanksgiving waffles the next weekend but like you said you bite your tongue you do what you gotta do and you get through it yeah exactly All right. Well, like I said, we got a lot to talk about in the baseball world as well. And luckily, we we are going to focus a little bit on on the prospects that are going to come up for 2024. So no better person to have join us than the co-host of the On the Farm podcast, also Dynasty and uh, prospect writer here with us at PitcherList.com. That, of course, is Jake Mesh, uh, friend of the show, been on the show before. Jake, thanks so much for coming back on. And uh, how was your how was your holiday? 
That was good. I'm really happy to be here. So thank you both for inviting me on. And uh, the holiday was good. So my fiance and I, we went and actually spent it with the family that she babysits for because we live on the East Coast and all of our family is in Iowa and Illinois and Indiana. And so that trip is just like... It's hard to justify when not one you, you make know. for Thanksgiving. Exactly. <laughs> so it's either like a 15 hour drive or dealing with the airports on oh, Thanksgiving. Sure. And so it's just like, no, thank you. So yes, we went and spent it with the family that she babysits for because they also, their family is from the Midwest and so we hung out with them. They have two twin eight-year-old boys. And so we just hung out with the kids and had some, had some food. And so it was nice. It was nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, I'm on the opposite situation as you. I live in Indiana and all my family's on the East Coast. And <laughs> so we don't do the travel for Thanksgiving, but we right. are traveling for Christmas this year. And we've decided to fly on Christmas. So we have a flight on Christmas, which is something we had done a lot. When we lived in California, we would fly from California to Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And then on Christmas Day, we would fly out of Hartford to Indiana and spend the last the days, couple of days after Christmas. And that was fine when it was just me and right. my wife. Now we got the two kiddos. Yeah. So at least we literally live in one area now. We only have to do the one leg of the flight. And it gets Kevin flying with the kids as they grow up. It gets a little easier as they continue to grow older. We'll see how this, we haven't flown as a family in a while. So we'll see how this one goes with a soon to be eight and four year olds. It is what it is. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Let's get my mind off of that and get right into some baseball talk, guys. Like I said, there's been a streaming influx of news that coming in. It starts off, though, with a, ex- a mass exodus, basically, in Minnesota, with the Twins basically losing out just about every free agent to be from the 2023 season. Kevin, let's start here with in the bullpen where they, the twins let Emilio Pagan sign a two-year contract with the Cincinnati Reds. We've all seen the tweets. We've all seen the jokes and all that, but does this, so not so much Pagan. Pagan has had some history. He's had some success last year being one of the more successful years of his career, especially keeping the home runs down a little bit, but this, does his presence in Cincinnati with a contract, a bullpen arm with a contract, guaranteed money, does it impact your view of Alexis Diaz as the clear-cut closer for the Reds going into 2024? No. There might be a couple of games throughout the season where because of Pagan in the bullpen, if he's performing as he did in 2023, maybe they'll use Diaz earlier in the game due to matchups and so forth. But I think it's still basically his job. And as volatile as home run rates are for pitchers, I wouldn't be counting on a 2024 similar to 2023 from Emilio Pagan. Yeah, I, I You'd be a fool to be expecting that. I think Alex Fast put this out like last year or the year before. Maybe he said it on the corner a while back. The most, the least sticky stat for a pitcher is home run per nine from year over year. So, you know, congratulations on doing that in your walk year. Pagan right. getting that to your contract. <laughs> Congratulations on doing that timed. But yeah, not, I, yeah, the question definitely wasn't revolving around how do you value Pagan? But I am, I do worry about any time 
a pitcher, a, a, a bullpen arm signs in a place that has a pre-arbitration or arbitration eligible closer that they can steal away some, maybe he doesn't become the closer, but just the fact that he could scratch away at a couple saves here or there and bring Diaz back down from maybe a 30 save opportunity season to a 25 a save opportunity season. So something yeah, just doesn't lose a seat. couple. And if this was, if you'd have asked me this going into 2023, then that would have been the reason for me thinking it could be a big problem, even coming off of Pagan's 2022, which wasn't so great. And he had nine saves for Minnesota blew a whole bunch of them. I'm not even looking at his stat page. I just remember watching <laughs> games, but that, that would have been a bigger issue. I think it's, because of the season Diaz had and mm-hmm. already has those saves on his resume, I'm I'm not as concerned for 2024. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel the same way about like John Duran as well in Minnesota. Would have said the same thing. I mean, probably said the same thing last year about that situation. Feel a little bit more comfortable about him going into 2024. All right, Jake, the other, the first part of the rotation that left the Twins, Kenta Maeda. He is joining the Detroit Tigers rotation Overall thoughts on Maeda being in Detroit? Sure, you go ahead and throw those out there, but I'm more curious to know about what impact you think this addition has on the possibility of the younger pieces that the Tigers have coming up or returning in the case of AC Mize and, and what have you. Yeah, sure. Just looking at Kenta Maeda real quick, he's currently being drafted in NFBC leagues at uh, 267. And so he's around guys like John Means, Yusei Kikuchi, Michael Waka, Cutter Crawford. It's about SP five or six on your team, maybe. And I think that, like, that is a little steep for me. It makes me a little nervous because like, ideally, him being in Comerica, you'd be able to stream him. You'd be able to have him go at home and decent matchups on the road, and you feel good about it. But when you're paying in a league where your roster size is um, as big as the NFBC, you're, you're paying for a consistent starter, consistent production, hopefully. And so I think it's a little steep for me there as far as like where he's being drafted. And so he's not necessarily a target, but I think I would still like him over Waka, Cutter Crawford. As far as the young guys, so currently now that the rotation has Maeda in it, the four young guys, four prospects and are looking on, are on the outside looking at Gibson Long, Wilmer Flores, Ty Madden, and Jackson Joe. Sawyer Gibson Long, we've already seen him in the majors. He was really good for probably about four starts down the stretch. Wilmer Flores, Madden, and Joe, we haven't seen yet, but Wilmer Flores is on the 40-man roster. He has the leg up on the others. I would prefer Ty Madden over Flores, and I'm honestly surprised that the Tigers put Flores on the 40-man roster. I didn't actually look at this. I meant to look at it, but it might have been to protect him from the Rule 5. Can't confirm that. That's the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head. He's a little younger than Madden. I think Madden's performed better. And that is what it is. But so Flores has the leg up right now just because he's on the 40-man roster. And where I think it really makes me nervous is for Jackson Job specifically because it already was going to be a like uphill battle for him to have consistent innings this year because uh, he only has six innings pitched in double A. So he's had one, one game started in double A. And even with the kind of current climate of like guys getting promoted sooner, we'll have some more on that later. It's still a hard, hard thing to do, especially when the MLB rotation is full and there's three other young guys that are waiting theoretically ahead of Job in line. So I think it's more mostly impacts Job. Uh, I think Gibson Long will be first guy in if there's an injury or something. He could even outpitch 
one of the guys towards the end there, maybe Matt Manning. And so I think that Gibson Long is still solid. And then Flores and Madden will get their shots. But yeah, I think it's just, it's tough for, it's even tougher for Joe, for sure. You're on mute, Adam. And granted, I mean, I just, I am curious to know how the Detroit's going to handle all of these kind of young arms going on. And like the guys kind of came out of the woodwork for those who haven't been paying attention to the prospects, to the the farm system, especially in Detroit of all places with Gibson Long coming through la- at the end of last year, Ryan Olson coming through as well. I, I'm curious to know how they're going to do this. And really all Maeda adding into the Detroit rotation does is replace Eduardo Rodriguez for the most part with the expectation that he is going to sign elsewhere. Kevin, do you have any consideration for Maeda in this new ballpark rather than where he was? Do you think he made enough strides by the, in the second half of next of last year to make him a viable option in going into 2024? Yeah, absolutely. A, a, a guy like Maeda is really nice to have. You're still talking, you know, late and grabbing a guy that uh, it's, it's, I'd, I'd really like to have him on a draft champions team, especially with the new ballpark. So the, the ADP is a little high for drafting a guy like that, but I don't think it's out of the question. I'm sure he, he's one of those guys I'm going to sit there and stare at for a couple of rounds. Pops <laughs> yeah. that one more round and snag him, right? Yep, he's yep. that type of guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lucas Giolito fits that bill for me as well it happened to me in, in a in a recent draft i'm like wait i guess he fell far enough and it was like i felt like he felt like two rounds lower i'm like all right fine all right well, Kevin, one more piece of the minnesota rotation leaving minnesota and heading elsewhere sunny gray cy young al cy young finalist in it will be joining his fifth team of his career as he signs a deal with the st louis cardinals He's the ace of this Cardinal staff, right? And he's also, I think, the youngest member of this Cardinals rotation. That's not true, but with the he's other... Close. It, he's, he's close. He's fourth. There are three guys in the starting rotation older than him at, at 34 years old. Yeah, especially with the additions of Lance Lynn and, and Kyle Gibson that we talked about last week. Yep. Is this him just getting that, that payday after that Cy Young caliber season in 2023? Or is this legitimate... Um, season and season plus for him now that he's in St. Louis. Yeah. I, I like Sonny Gray here. Uh, 34 years old. Isn't too old for a pitcher in my mind. I get much more worried about hitters at this age than I do pitchers. I think pitchers are learning how to pitch maybe just <laughs> a year or two prior to this. <laughs> so yeah, I, I like Sonny Gray here. He may not be the opening day starter. They might give that to Mikolas. He's been there five seasons, but Sonny Gray by performance, I think we expect him to be the ace in this rotation. And he's, he's had a a very solid couple of seasons and four out of five uh, ERA right around three and even under in 2023. I mean, and and all the peripherals uh, support it. So I don't, I don't see anything wrong with this at all. Yeah, Sonny Gray, Kurt, going into this recording, which is pretty lined up with when Sonny actually announced the the signing there, that three-year deal, $70 million with St. Louis, ADP of 134 in the draft champion drafts is about, 
think there's 19 of them that have concluded, ranging between 103 and 173. So obviously there's some fluctuation there. We always say anytime a player is in the news, whether they sign or get traded or whatever, even unless they get traded, unless they're a pitcher that gets traded to Colorado or a hitter that's getting traded away from Colorado, they're going to go move up in ADP. Do you think that'll be justified given the location of where he's put in the and in, in where and what he's actually done? I think so. The pitcher's going right ahead of him. First of all, there's four relievers going directly mm-hmm. in front of him. Yeah. That's that tier there, of, right? The second tier of relievers. But then you're looking at Max Scherzer, Hunter Green, Cole Reagans, Dylan Cease. Everybody has questions, which one I'm drafting. But yeah, this that's a fine spot for him, I think. And if he moves up a little bit, I, I would take him ahead of Cease. Uh, I'd probably take him ahead of Max Scherzer, uh, depending on who's we get on Scherzer's health going forward. Feel about their concerns. Injury with Hunter Green could be injury with Reagans. Also, small sample size. Uh, I mean, Walker Bueller's going ahead of him. He missed the entire season, so I I, I feel fine taking Sonny Gray in in front of uh, some of these guys that are going ahead of him right now. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I was. This close to finally getting my first exposure of Cole Reagan's going in, into my redraft leagues. Literally, I was on the I was in the two spot. And so it was coming around to that turn. I didn't have a catcher yet. I ended up the guy on the turn didn't have a catcher either. So I ended up picking Yanir Diaz as my first catcher, thinking, oh, he has plenty of starters. He's not gonna pick a starter. I'll get Reagan's on the turn back. Of course, he had to pick him. He had to pick Reagan's on the set with his second pick, just so it felt even more of a snipe. <laughs> and so, yeah. I mean, that was at pick one twenty or so. He, I have not been in a draft where he's dropped that far. Um, so I, you know, I have nobody to blame but myself in that one. I know if I'm in a draft with you, I'm not getting him. I'm not. I'm probably not jumping up to eighty five, ninety. You picked him at ninety overall in the listener league, and so and I'm probably not jumping doing- that high. I've been taking Bobby Miller and then taking Cole Reagans in the next round. Bobby Miller got taken the pick before me at Mm -hmm. pick 89. So I thought, you know what? I'm not going to mess around. And yes, that's what my cue set up as before it gets back to me. So I'm going to go ahead and take him now. So that is the earliest I've taken him. But uh, yeah, Yeah. I just, plus I didn't have to go back through and do, (laughs) go through all of my cue and make a big tough decision. I'm like, I'll just take Reagans now. Yeah, there we go. Just get it over with. Yeah, sure. All right. We have a lot of, we got actual news around the league outside of Minnesota losing all their players. We'll get to those in just a little bit after this break. All right. Elsewhere around the league, Kevin, we got Jason Hayward. He is staying with the Los Angeles Dodgers on a one-year, $9 million deal. Can he replicate like the success? I'll use success in quotation marks. That Will he have a more prominent role? Can he stay healthy long enough? All the valid questions you would have about Jason Hayward still in a with a good team, and he seems to obviously enjoy it. He, you know, took $9 million to stay there for one more year. I don't know if you want to call it a prove a year or not, but what's your take on Hayward in LA for one more year? I I think this is an ideal signing for Hayward. The Dodgers know what they have. Obviously he's comfortable there. I think we could see a slight increase in plate appearances. He's not going to play against lefties intentionally. uh, Most instances 
Uh, I believe he only had 28 plate appearances versus lefties in 2023 versus righties. 349 plate appearances, 276, 13 home runs, a couple of stolen bases even, 48 runs scored in that Dodgers lineup, and 38 RBI. I think we might see him approach 400 uh, plate appearances. He's been under that the past couple of seasons, uh, but he was great, especially down the stretch and overall for the season. So I think the Dodgers go into... 2024 knowing that's his role i don't think they were quite so sure that they would be able to get that performance out of him in 2023 so right-handed pitching so 15 team leagues and deeper and as a streamer in shallower leagues just like he was in the second half of 2023 when people finally started paying attention i think jason howard's a great option all right yeah it's the name you still have to keep in mind as we get into the deeper situations any any time you can get extra plate appearances out of somebody who's actually going to produce you got to take notice all right jake the or, or i am going to butcher this but i'm going to try it anyway the yokohama i think it's dna bay stars of the nippon uh league professional baseball np npb they have officially posted shota imanaga so the question is here um after the yamamoto also being posted um where tell me everything i need to know about uh shota imanaga where is he going to sign what's he going to do like what kind of role is he going to sign with we saw this with a couple of japanese and korean pitchers that came over last year fujinami comes to mind where he is very keen on going to a spot where he was going to be a starter spoiler alert he was not a starter but he at least was given the opportunity by his signing team the Oakland Athletics to do is that should we be expecting the kind of same kind of treatment with Imanaga or what kind of situation are you expecting to see out of him in 2024 yeah sure I do expect that he gets to be a starter out of the gate and he's going to be one thing that you can put down right now is that he's going to be able to get a good amount of strikeouts which is good because I was in the process of writing this this article recently uh, where I'm getting into uh, Yoshi Yamamoto and Jung-Hoo Lee. And when I was researching Yamamoto, I came across this article written by CJ Lu Singh. He's actually a student at Berkeley, at UC Berkeley. And he writes for this sports analytics club group at, at Berkeley. And he wrote this really great article from Japan to MLB, the players before and after signing. And it, and it breaks down like how we can expect players to perform in, in MLB after playing in MPB. And the kind of the, the biggest thing that I took away from this article was that MPB ERAs are actually pretty predictive of success in the majors uh, in comparison to OPS for hitters are almost not predictive at all. And so <laughs> the main way that that CJ approached this was by create, calculating the correlation coefficient of both of those stats to career numbers in the MPB to their career numbers in the majors. And he did this for all the players that have been posted successfully through the current system since it was established in 1999. For pitchers, there was 13 of them. This happened last November. And so it did not include Kodai Senga or Shintaro Fujinami. And so the, so the R squared, the correlation coefficient for NPB ERAs, career MPB ERAs to MLB ERAs was 0.54, which is really good for an that's ERA. pretty good. Yeah. 204. And that's the best of the ERA that we have. Like Sierra is the golden standard. And just NPB ERA 
just as a basis is 0.54. Like MLB ERA is super, super low. That's like less than 0.1. And this, and of course it's a bit different because there's only 13 sample sizes in in this situation. Exactly. So it's not super, it's not like it's super, super reliable. The game is, the game is changing literally as we blink our eyes. And so over over the course of the last 23 years, as you said, this started this sample size that they, they uh, CJ brought up was from 1999. You got to imagine that the the players at the back end of that obviously are changed, have changed from just the players that have come up most recently all the way back to Otani as as recently as that. Yes, you have to take any kind of research like this with whatever grain size grain of salt that you want, but the fact is that number is still pretty dang good. <laughs> that 0.54. And so it is interesting to see the correlation of the success a player sees there, especially at a young age. That that also is assuming that the pitchers, these 13 pitchers that we're talking about are coming over at a little bit of a younger age. We're talking mid twenties, not, they're not coming over as 30 year olds and having the same kind of success. They're still getting their groove. They've already had success at a very young age and they're able to translate that into success at the major league level. Absolutely. And so it's cool because you could look at it and say like, okay, like of the NPB pitchers, the better NPP NPB pitchers are going to be the better MLB pitchers like of this group, right? That's a pretty easy thing that you can have in your mind. Yeah. And Monica is that his NPB career ERA is 3.18. Sounds good, but of the 13 pitchers that were included in this study, it is only better than three of them. And so then when you extrapolate and you then based on this study map his potential MLB ERA, it comes out to 5.5. I think that's Kevin. Is that good? I don't think that's good. (laughs) (laughs) so it's you know and it's it's a bit different of kind of like us like when we're talking about sierra predicting mlb era it's it's a bit different where like a three seven sierra is a lot different than an npb era of 318 right because there also hasn't been a pitcher that has come over and posted a lower era in mlb right and so you're looking at a different range of outcomes in the following seasons and so you have that it's like oh 318 is great and then it just it balloons a bit when yeah. you look at what these other players have done because usually guys come over from npb with like two to 2.5 eras like you darvish was a 199 yamamoto was a 195 we was see, like a 24 we yeah. see this with prospects coming up as well like you don't expect right. a prospect no matter how can't miss they are especially on the pitching side like we have the nomenclature for a reason that there's no such thing as a pitching prospect and we see them come up with a with a 20% strikeout rate or whatever it is and then it, that comes down once they hit the majors with a 2.5 ERA over the course of a season and a half and then all of a sudden they end the, their premier, their first season in the majors with a four plus ERA. That's still pretty good <laughs> when right. all things considered, but it happens all the time. It's just growing pains going from one league to another, going from certain competition to much better competition. And as good as the MPB is, it's still not at the same level as major league baseball as a whole. And there, there are better players in MPB than there are some players in major league baseball, but as a whole, as a general whole, you're getting a much higher level of play. And so it's just to be expected. 
Yeah. Um, but the strikeouts will be there. The strikeouts will be there. The one thing about NPB to MLB as well with strikeouts specifically is that the league average strikeout rate in NPB is about 18.9 compared to the MLB, which is about 22 something. And so players, pitchers who come over generally increase the strikeout rates uh, in the major leagues. We've seen it with really all the recent guys, Darvish, Otani, Senga. It's usually about 0.5 to one Ks per nine increase. And and Amonaga's K9 in the MPB was about 9.3. And so if you need, I think he'll be a good streamer. He's not being drafted super high right now. If you need a good streamer with that'll get you some strikeouts, especially in head-to-head leagues, I think he'll come in very useful to get some, if you're just in need of strikeouts, I think he'll still be solid because he will be given a, the chance as a starter. He'll be given the money to be in the rotation, maybe as like an SP4. And so he'll definitely get his starts and he'll be useful. But that ERA could be dangerous for sure. All right, let me get Kevin. I want to get your where you want to see him sign before Jake, I ask you where you think he's going to sign Kevin, like where obviously we'll take out the ones who obviously don't want him to go to Cincinnati or Colorado or whatever, but like the teams that are probably going to be in on him are probably the ones that are also in on Yamamoto. So like where, who do you think has had the best success with bringing over these pitchers and having success early and you'll be excited to see him sign there versus the ones you're like, oh, they're probably in on him, but I don't trust them. I'd like to see him sign somewhere where I think he'll be comfortable more quickly than other places. We've seen all of the possibilities of maybe Yamamoto goes wherever Otani goes. That That's a lot of money. Maybe Imanaga goes wherever Otani goes. That would be great. Seattle would be great. Places like this where I think he's going to be more comfortable, more quickly with the new culture. Yeah, that's fair. We, I feel like as a Red Sox fan, I saw this transition happen with Daisuke Matsuzaka and the amount of effort and the amount of just time and resources that the team put in to making him feel more comfortable and bringing in more translators and bringing in more media and like just making it feel better. And that was when there were, he had no other teammates on the team that could help. And yeah, I'm not, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's rumors that Moda specifically said he wants, he would prefer to go to a team that has other Japanese players on it or already. So obviously Seattle come, Seattle has a history. Obviously, Ichiro is still very prevalent in that organization. You have Boston and you have the Chicago Cubs that have some more recent, at least on the offensive side, and obviously you have Senga over in New York. So it is curious to see what kind of transition these guys play. And if that plays a role, they still have to go through the posting process. They don't have as much of a choice as a, a straight free agent. They can still negotiate their contracts, uh, but they're only going to be able to negotiate with one team. And so they don't really have that much of a choice as to where they get to negotiate this, uh, this first contract. Jake, where do you think he's going to end up? Yeah, I think I can see him ending up with someone like the Giants, who's going to be aggressive, who might miss out on the on Yamamoto, maybe the kind of the upper echelon of talent, and then go with Imanaga as like the backup plan. And looking at the Giants, like the they could absolutely use from some depth in the starting rotation, and that's exactly what Imanaga provides. Because like right now, they're we're going to be relying on like these Sclafani, Stripling, and Keaton Win for three of their five rotation spots as it sits right now. That's not a lot of guaranteed innings or let alone good innings. And so I think Imanaga, again, they might not be good innings, but he adds to that kind of expectation for coverage. Fair. 
bear. Plus the West Coast obviously has a geographic advantage for signing all these guys as well. All right, Kevin, the New York Mets are going all in. And uh, (laughs) apparently they made some signings. One of them just earlier, I think they both actually happened earlier today as we're recording this on Wednesday. They signed a one-year deal with Luis Severino who goes over from the Yankees to the Mets staying in New York City. And they also signed Joey Wendell to a, a short contract as well. Are these anything, from where the Mets stand right now, are these anything more than a way for the Mets to buy a farm system um, where you expect them to see what they got then and then part ways come the first week of August? That's very possible with Severino. It, it's all health. And we saw 193 innings in 2017, 191 innings in 2018. We saw 18 innings over the next three seasons. All right. And then he came back with 102 pretty darn nice innings in 2022 and then was banged up off and on all of 2023. I will say this. He's already he was already throwing on November 7th. Uh, and it was an oblique injury that hit that he got shut down at the end of the season for. So that leads me to believe. I don't think if your oblique is not fully healthy, you're throwing in November. That would seem ridiculous to me. So I feel like he's probably coming into at least his off-season workouts healthy. Mm-hmm. It gives me a little bit of optimism, I, but I have no idea what we can expect from him. Like I said, it's we haven't seen him have a healthy season since 2018. By the time the season begins, that will be six years ago. So that's crazy. Wendell, uh, he's a non-roster invitee. I don't know that he gets a lot of playing time. I think his best option is if he ends up being the short side of a platoon with Beatty at third base. That That is probably the most optimistic situation I see happening for him. So, yeah, I I, I think your your question is probably um, – the the way that they're looking and hoping this works out for them they already told us they weren't planning on competing in 2024 so yeah they're 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 making uh another move here to to try to bolster their farm system like they ended up doing with scherzer and verlander yeah you got to that's exactly how i expect this to all turn out because it's a single one-year deal it's not even like one of those one year with a team option for a second year (laughs) oh if you do really good we'll take your con we'll we'll activate the team option for the next year no it's a straight one year 13 million dollar deal it's good for him take take the 13 million aav absolutely one year and see what you can do with it and what which is not what is nice is not that he would get it but more than likely he gets traded and then he's not he can't get the the qualifying offer tag by his new team because if you get traded in season you don't have that kind of looming over your on your shoulders in the off season so that's nice for him knowing I think that's you have probably the perception that he's still young too but this has been going on so long with the injuries he's 29 years old now yeah by the time the season starts he'll be he'll have crossed the 30 year old mark yeah, yeah. All right, Jake, uh, this is more of a rumor mill. I'm going to start doing one of these per seat episode, apparently. This has not happened, but there are rumors that the Milwaukee Brewers are considering giving their top prospect, Jackson Churio, 
a long-term contract, basically buying out his years of arbitration through his his mid-20s, as we've seen with many other players in recent history, most of them on in Atlanta, granted. But this would be different because Churio has not made his Major League debut yet. He's still being drafted as if he will make his debut early on in the season. But do you think that a long-term contract, one, guarantees an opening day roster, and two, does it change really your outlook for him? How far does he jump up ADP boards with that kind of news where there's that guarantee? What we saw with Bobby Witt when he was guaranteed, when back in the day when Tatis was a guaranteed, they didn't have contracts per se, but it was announced that they were going to Jordan Walker. Same thing as well happened last season. What's your take on Churio with a contract or without? Yeah, Churio with a contract becomes a heck of a lot more interesting. I think it's more than likely that he starts an opening day roster if that is the case. And with that, so Chris Clegg tweeted something really cool about the potential Churio extension. He just gave a list of the players that have signed extensions before debuting. That's Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Evan White, Scott Kingery, and John Singleton. Back saw, in 2014, John Singleton. Saw this tweet, and it was that's quite a that's quite a list. Right. Uh, the <laughs> first three didn't really work out uh, very well. But so John Singleton is an outlier. Like it happened so early, it was a weird thing. It was five years and ten mil. He didn't get a ton of playing time that year, but he did debut. Now the other four got like everyday bats at bats for most, if not all, of the season. Two of those, Luis, Luis Robert and Evan White, debuted in 2020 and played 56 and 54 of the games of the 60 games. And then Eloy and Kingery both hit about 500 PAs in the following season. It's when it's happened, the guys have debuted for sure, and they've played almost every day pretty consistently. They've gotten good roles. And so I think that Churio being one of the top prospects in baseball already, much like Eloy and, and Robert was, it's so easy to see how it's going to be good. Now, where it gets a little testy is the Milwaukee outfield. It's like, there's a lot of parts, but there's no one that's really solidified their spot quite yet. So they have Yelich, obviously, who's there and will be there. But then after him, it's it's Garrett Mitchell, Sal Freelich, Joey Weimer, Tyrone Taylor. Those are all solid pieces. If you had one or of them on the bench that could take a spot, you'd be great. But they're all, the sum is better than the the individual parts. So I think that he can definitely take playing time from those guys. I think what they would have to show something dramatically better than what they've already shown to uh, avoid that. So I think Churio, even though it's a crowded roster, I think that he, just because of his, if he does sign the contract, it's huge. If just his prospect status, his ability to hit the ground running, he's played really well at levels that he has no business being at already. I think that <laughs> it's just a green light. If they do get that deal done, it would make me much more confident. Now, looking at the ADP, he's currently going at 243. And it's like if I would draft him now and gamble that he does sign. And even if he doesn't, I think he still maybe isn't as guaranteed to be as impactful early on, but I think he still takes the role. And then I think if he does get that deal, I think he does definitely get bumped up. I think maybe it's closer to 210 or so. To be fair, the 243, I'm assuming you're looking at that as a meshed up ADP of every draft that's happened in NFBC. We got to right, yeah. make sure we, we're at a point already in the offseason where we had to clarify that gladi- gladiators draft a lot differently than draft champions that draft a lot differently than and the best balls of the cut lines that have just started up as well. So just something to keep in mind when you're looking at ADP out there that you're 
at a point where you probably need to start filtering because if you do filter by just DCs, he's already got the ADP of 211 just in those DCs where you're, you yeah. don't have to, you, there's less of a guarantee. I'm assuming that 243 is being weighted down a little bit in by the gladiators that, that have concluded where somebody with a little bit more risk or not quite sure what to expect out of playing time um, gets pushed down a little bit more. You have a little bit more flexibility in the DC, obviously with the 50 uh, man roster. Yeah. So Kevin, 211 DC ADP already. If you knew right now he had an opening day spot, you're willing to drop them a little bit higher, I would assume. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've drafted I've drafted guys that we don't have that certainty with. I've drafted Jackson Holiday and I've drafted Wyatt Langford. So if we get certainty on uh somebody like Churio, absolutely I'd give it a shot. Fair enough. All right. I want to bring this up because I did not include Jackson Churio in our groupings later on. So I want to make sure that we got a little bit of talk on him, especially with these pretty strong rumors that are going around. Kevin, last thing, I'm going to end it here. We can make it quick if you want, or you can talk as long as you want about it. Your Royals are making moves. Garrett Hampson going to the Royals. What does he play? How often does he actually play? He's a utility guy, especially against left-handed hitting. Michael Massey is somebody that had some pretty strong platoon splits all 15 of his home runs came against right-handed hitting for example so he could get some time at second base mj melendez has some platoon splits out in the outfield so he i think he'll be a utility guy that plays against left-handed pitching pinch runs late in games probably not someone that has much value other than in an ale only league as far as fantasy i don't see him getting enough playing time mm-hmm yeah, I think the only value you could possibly get is, is the kind of guy that we talk about with he could come in as a pinch runner and get you some stolen bases. In so those a streamer, if they got exactly. lefties, when they're facing yeah. lefties, absolutely. So the Royals definitely have some history in, in the recent years of being a team that likes to run in general, but at the same time, Garrett Hampson. He was exciting because of what he could do in Colorado, and now, in and for a while now, he hasn't been. <laughs> I. I thought maybe because I was never big on Garrett Hampson and I have talked negatively about him more than I probably should about any player, but I thought, oh, wow, he had a pretty decent season with Miami in the playing time he got. He had almost a 400 BABIP and I quit looking. I'm like, oh, never mind. All right. Fair enough. All right. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of why we are here. That's enough news and notes for today. We're going to talk about some prospects and rookies going into 2024 with the focus on our redraft leagues. You want more dynasty coverage. Obviously go listen to Jake on the farm. Read his great work over at pitcherlist.com as well. But for now, let's stick with the 2024 redrafts or first year dynasty. However you want to look at it. We're only thinking about their production going into 2024. Jake, in your experience by the things, just the things you've been watching with last season with the new rules, not the new rules pertaining about size of the bases and the pitch clock and all that, but the incentivization that the teams have to calling up players early on their opening day roster to try to get that extra draft pick. Baltimore is getting the draft pick from getting rookie of the year for Gunnar Henderson. Arizona is getting their draft pick from Corbin Carroll's rookie of the year. Seattle got their pick the year prior from Julio Rodriguez getting the rookie of the year as well. And I believe Atlanta got 
theirs as well for Michael Harris. The, these awards are being given out. The players that are qualifying for them, now of course, they have to be on two of the three top prospect, top 100 prospect lists. I think it's Baseball America, the MLB Pipeline, and SI, if I'm not mistaken. Sports Illustrated's top that 100. Right. They have to be on two out of three of those. They have to be on the opening day roster, and they have to have spent X amount of time I think at the major league level, I think those are the three requirements. Definitely the first two. I'm not sure about the timing, but hard to win rookie of the year if you're not up pretty much all season. So do you do you think, are you of, of the opinion that this is actually incentivizing teams to call up these players rather than getting that for that extra year of control? A lot of the talk is around like Wyatt Langford right now, obviously only got a taste Jackson Holiday, only got a taste of AAA. Is it worth getting that draft pick or the possibility? And you only get one. It's not like a second place or third place get gets anything for the team but and they get extra there's also a possibility that the player doesn't win rookie of the year but they still get an extra year of they the extra year of service time they're awarded an extra year of service time so there's actually there are things working against the team from that perspective however you want to look at it long way of saying what are your thoughts on this situation yeah absolutely um so i, I definitely think it's changing the the kind of outlook of, of teams and how they're promoting prospects. And um, so I have a little bit of, of data to kind of back it up. So first off, I want to shout out um, Russell and Armchair Roto, armchairroto.com. So there was a fantastic article that made its rounds on Twitter um, about a month ago now. Uh, it was called Predicting 2424 MLB Playing Time for Prospects. And so absolutely go and check it out if you're interested. It is really important and cool, I think, to take stock of where we're at right now with prospects and how much playing time they're getting. And so one of the things that, that Russell found here was that last year of the 100 players on the baseball HQ top 100 prospects for fantasy list preseason, 57 of those players spent time in the majors. And the biggest contributing factor to determine how much playing time a prospect got was if they had made their MLB debut in the previous season. Obviously, guys like Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson, and so forth. And that, that was just two of the kind of nuggets in this article. So definitely go check it out and read it. But so I read the article and it inspired me to take a look. So I mostly focused, my articles have mostly focused on pitchers. I did pitchers and stash articles this year. I love talking pitching. So I, I went and looked because I was curious to see if there was more pitchers that were getting promoted aggressively, because I've noticed that there was a trend this year that we were seeing what felt like more guys who were making their debuts that hadn't spent a ton of time at AAA previously. And so I went and looked at all of the players that pitched at least 20 innings in the major leagues in 2022 and 2023, who had not thrown any innings above AA in the previous season. And so I would just wanted to know if teams were more aggressive, if they weren't, because I think nor before maybe this year, it was, mm -hmm. we got to see these guys as AAA. This is, it's the finishing level. We want to see them there and that there's like a process that you have to go through. But then we saw teams like the Mariners skip AAA entirely. It's a PCL, but still it's getting, the Angels did it again, PCL, but it's getting, I think, more common. So I looked at this and, and what I found was that the average double a innings pitched of these pitchers stayed about the same so the the sweet spot is for a pitcher to pitch at least about 60 innings in double a in this in this previous year but the mlb innings pitched of these pitchers increased by about 33 percent the era got slightly better the k per nine in the majors increased from 7.45 to 8.95 
And the quantity of pitchers who did this increased by 50%. And so it happened more often with more MLB innings thrown on average and the results in the majors improved. And so teams are being more aggressive, specifically with pitchers. pitchers. And it's not necessarily a precursor, a prerequisite for them to spend significant time in AAA or even any time in AAA in 2023 this year. And I think that is a pretty big shift. And so I think it all of a sudden makes these guys viable for draft champions leagues specifically. And then even to be ready to stream them when they come up, I think earlier on in, in April and May. And so there was a few guys that I pointed out that I think are candidates for this. And also shout out to Rob DiPietro, the Deadpool hitter. I shared this research in his group chat because we were talking about this article. And what he found, he took my research and then added some more to it. He found that the sweet spot in age for these pitchers was 23 or 24. And that all these players on this list were essentially 23 or 24. And so looking at that, it was like Christian Scott, DJ Hers, and um, Ty Madden were like the three guys that I was looking at that fit all of these criteria for this year and that I think could get good innings next year. So that's that my long-winded kind of way of saying, like, yes, it is absolutely happening. The results are better. And then I think that there's some guys that we could look at that will be taking advantage of this, of this next year continually. I've said I felt like I've said it. Maybe I said it in my own head, Kevin. I'm not sure. But it makes a whole lot more sense, especially from the pitcher side, Jake that you're that this research that you did maps out the fact pitchers only have so many bullets in in that in each arm or in in most cases just the one arm that matters and so if you're going to get those bullets after double a you might as well get them at the major league level and it's also pretty rare for a pitcher to win rookie of the year that they don't like necessarily need to be on there's no I feel that there's basically no incentive for a team to start a pitcher at the on the opening day roster unless it's some weird circumstance. Seattle did that with Matt Brash um, a couple of years ago, and that was a fun experiment while it lasted in that rotation. Glorious, yes, yeah. glorious. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you're probably not winning Rookie of the Year. It's probably not happening. The odds are against it. And so to have them come up and spend a little bit of time, maybe at finishing up double A, getting those 60 innings like you talked about, and then jumping up into the majors rather than stretching them out over the course of the rest of the season in triple A makes a lot of sense. Now the hitter side though, it seems that's a talent that gets better with age to an extent, unless you're Juan Soto or somebody uh, on the extreme. Kevin, do you feel any differently about that, or is that kind of hitting a chord? I, I don't. And what we have seen over the past couple of seasons was the, some of the different minor leagues implementing the, the ABS system, and then they these pitchers come up to the major leagues and their walk rates go down. Our not only are their walk rates going down, my question for Jake is, obviously, the walk rates go down, but is this also better for their development that at in those minor leagues, they have to pound the zone due to the ABS? Yeah, for sure. I think that it sets that mindset early on, and it's definitely more challenging. I think everyone who's had to adjust to it has said in interviews that I've seen that there's absolutely an adjustment period. And then you also had like other experiments, like with the tacky ball that they did in double A, a similar thing where you'd see a player go there, the walk rate starts to tick down, and they go to triple A, it goes back up, and they're like, oh yeah, like I'm adjusting to two different things here. I'm doing the tacky ball, and that's different. And then I go to the triple A, and then there's ABS, and that's different, and it's a tighter zone. And so there's so many, there's all 
already so much noise in the minors, <laughs> even in the majors, but like in the minors, oh, there's sure. so many. But there, and then adding those kind of those rules that MLB is playing around with just makes it so much more difficult. And then again, especially in the PCL too, where the hitting environment and pitching environment is so much different with the altitudes. So yeah, it's. I think it's. I think it is good for pitchers to have to adjust because you're making adjustments on the fly. You're making adjustments every start, and you have to do that in the majors. Not necessarily about the same things, but I think it's good to have that mentality to to attack, to change, to change approach, and things like that, and may, try some new things. And so, I think that is something that we can see. Like Gavin Williams did it. He improved the, the walk rate. Bryce Miller. So many guys came up, and it was like. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed this just from looking at the Fangraphs page. Right. But there's so much more in the nitty gritty of these guys' development now that it's harder to just look at those kind of performance numbers and expect similar in the majors. There's so much happening down there now that it's tough. But I think it is good for them for sure. Fair. All right. Like you said, oh, we had a whole lot of pitchers come up throughout. We had a whole lot of players come up. Kevin, when we talked about it every week, every week. <laughs> there was a new prospect of the week that we all wanted to bid on. And at least one pitcher almost every week. Every right. week. And it was nice. They coordinated it. I feel like the league <laughs> coordinated this. So they didn't all come up at one time. We didn't have a Fabapalooza right. for, for a bunch of rookies all at once. It was nicely spread out all year round. So one of those names that pops up um, was Tanner Bybee, somebody that, you know, most people were aware of, but at the same time, you didn't really expect them to come up and have the success from the get-go and throughout the season while he was up. Like there was always talk about whether or not he was going to lose that job. If the, the, the Cleveland rotation was get healthy enough to bump him out, it never happened. So my question to both of you guys is maybe it's more predictable this year, as you're talking about Jake, but like, who is the, this year's Tanner Bybee? Or you could pick any of these guys that came up last year and use that example. I'm using Bybee because he had, some of the most success of all all the pitching prospects that did get to call up throughout the course of the season. Who's going to come out of the woodwork this year as somebody you might not expect to debut early and will keep that job and be successful. So I think I picked a a couple guys here that I think are in very similar situations to Tanner Bybee and fits the mold of maybe not expecting them to come up because of various circumstances, but they can take the job. And I think the two guys that stood out to me were Clayton Beater of the Yankees and Nick Frasso of the Dodgers. And so I, I see both of those organizations in very similar spots where Cleveland was last year, where you have a full MLB rotation and then you have a chunk, a group of major league ready pitching prospects, three or four of them that are vying, jockeying for position down there for next man up. And I think it was hard going into last year to look at that Cleveland pitching situation and pick any of them. You could have picked Espino before he got injured or Gavin Williams because they were the two fireballers and Bobby was the afterthought. But then Bobby is the one who came up. He got the call earlier that Cleveland essentially went in seniority there for debuts. And then Bobby got the job. He he kept it and, and there he went. And so I think when looking at the Yankees and Dodgers, they're both in very similar situations. And I think it's going to be very easy to look at these situations and just throw your hands up and be like, I don't want to pick a horse in that race. There's too much happening. And I don't think you necessarily have to benefit like you might have with Bybee last year. You just have to be ready uh, for when they do come up. You don't necessarily have to draft some of these guys. Um, But when they're up, I think you can approach that. And so, yeah, with Beater, he's competing with the Yankees full rotation. And then there's also Will Warren is there's who's the other Drew Thorpe, Chase Hampton. And I think Beater has the leg up right now because he's on the 40 man, which is always nice. He was, Will Warren got to AAA first last year 
and performed pretty well. And then Beater got to AAA and just slowly passed him. Warren got inconsistent. He started giving up a ton of runs. Uh, wasn't finding the strikeout consistencies. And War and Beater was just steady, steadily improving on things. And and I was paying attention to the starts. And I and Beater won me over. And so I think that the Yankees adding him to the 40-man is nice. He's already been in AAA for a little bit. Let's see if I can actually pull up his innings pitched in AAA real quick. Uh, it's is he 71 innings in AAA last year. I'd love to see that. I think that he's pretty much ready. And I think that he might get the, the first shot of those kind of pitching prospects as they need him. And I think he could step forward. And then Frasso's in a similar situation, but he's actually on the opposite end. He's on the back end of the Dodgers pitching prospects as far as seniority goes. But I just like his, I've watched his starts and I just like his makeup, his stuff better. I love watching his starts. I think he approaches and attacks hitters very well. I think he has a very good fastball that has good movement profile, not necessarily high velocity, but good movement profile. A couple good secondaries. And so, yeah, I think he's one that I've really been enamored with by just watching him. Peter has that leg up, but I think Frasso is someone who could emerge from that group of guys that the Dodgers have, the depth that they have, and make some good, at least spot starts and maybe run away with a role. So that's there, how I approached it. There's got to be a little bit more of a guarantee of a guy coming up for the Yankees, getting into a rotation spot and holding it than it does with the Dodgers. The Dodgers just have that tendency, obviously, of spreading the wealth when able Obviously, last year was an example where they didn't always have the ability to pick and choose. They, whoever had a healthy arm could take the mound as long as they could. But in recent history, obviously, jodgeritis is an actual thing, and we have to be wary of that when they have plenty of arms to go around. Kevin, have you been in your deeper, in your DC, and in, in your deeper lease, have you been paying attention to any of these guys with the expectation, like Jake said, like, None of these guys you have to draft in a fab league in one of our listener leagues per se, uh, but you have to be ready in the fab leagues. But in your DCs, they're going to get drafted. Are you taking that kind of a risk knowing that there's more likelihood that they're going to be called up like we saw last year? Yes, uh, because the first thing I thought of when Jake brought it up earlier is it, it echoed what what Derek told us a few weeks back uh when when he joined us right in in a draft champions you need reinforcements in the second half of the season so you're gonna have players on your team that you don't expect to use for the first half and you hope you don't need to use and so do you want guys that are on your bench because they're not good enough to make your starting lineup that then you have to use in the second half? Or would you rather take a chance and have guys that if they had been up in the first half, you'd have been using them then anyway, but now you do have them for the second half. So I, I think that is the advantage to taking a chance on some of these guys. You can't take too many, right? You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket and have, you know, six or eight guys that you don't expect to start the season with the major league club, but a couple of these guys that you feel fairly confident are going to come up in the second half, you're going to need those reinforcements for to take place of injured guys and underperformers on your team. The guys that are going earlier in drafts as 10, they tend to be are the hitters from the prospect side of things. We saw it last year, Jordan Walker and company. This year, we're already in the top 200. We'll even, I'll even throw Churio in there. But you have Wyatt Langford, you have uh, Jackson Holiday, and, and the only kind of rookies that are pitchers that are in that high are the ones coming over from Japan. And so, 
let's flip the script and go to the hitter side, Jake. Who is this year's Jordan Walker, who's somebody everybody's really excited about, the can't miss hitter who's going, you know, way too early, quote unquote, uh, that is going to be that is going to ultimately disappoint. Like Jordan Walker wasn't like the the end season line wasn't terrible, but it wasn't a top hundred pick stat line that you would have hoped for or you were banking on due to his pedigree, due to his performance in, in the minors due to every interview you've ever had of him being like ready to go both in front of a camera, in front of a microphone and at the plate. And so who do you see being of that group that's going early this year? You don't have a lot to choose from, but (laughs) who's going to be that player that ultimately disappoints based on the ADP? I think right now I have to go with Wyatt Langford. The price is just so steep and it's someone who was just drafted this year and who I think will have a hard time getting as consistent of playing time as you would like to see from someone who's being drafted where he's going right now in draft champions, which is 136 overall. So he's going ahead of regulars like Dansby Swanson, Ian Happ, and Alec Bohm. And I think I would probably rather have all of those guys ahead of Langford, even though they might be going one or two rounds after. Just because I think, especially in, in a DC, where you know the drafts that are happening right now are almost entirely draft and holds, you want that kind of guaranteed playing time. You want someone who's going to be that is going to be there every single day when they have the opportunity when they're healthy. And so it's it's tough because you as you see the ceiling and Jordan Walker last year, it was like, oh gosh, what could he be? Could he do something like Julio did the previous year, like where he it was a very similar kind of trend in ADP where he started shooting up in spring training and then he took off. But Jordan Walker, like you said, was just all right. And I, and I think and I think Langford will be. All right, but he's content. Like just looking at the Rangers lineup, like the Rangers were one of the best offensive teams in baseball last year, and so he's he has to crack one of the best lineups, one of the most deep created lineups, right? And so you're looking and you're like, man, I don't see because you got Evan Carter who's already there and is already he played in the playoffs. He was a huge guy for them. He's I think he's gonna be locked into everyday playing time, and then you have currently in center field it's Leody Tavares who isn't like super exciting, but he holds down center field. He's a switch hitter. He's offers a little bit of everything. And I think it'd be tough to knock him out. And then in right. And then you got a Delise Garcia, like where is he going to go necessarily? And they could also add in the off season. It's definitely not out of the question for the Rangers. So I, I think it's just for me, mostly playing time. And then also I think that as far as the actual production goes, he, there's going to be some, like adjustments that have to be made at some point. He's not just going to blow it up and just go crazy. Like he's going to have, he hasn't really had to like adjust, make adjustments and like struggle. And I think that kind of worries me because we don't really know how he handles that adversity yet. He hasn't really had to work through anything. So I think he will need to work through something. It's not going to be that he's just going to hit the ground running and be Julio or do that. And I think that's what you're hoping for banking on. If you're drafting him that high ahead of Evan Carter, ahead of the regulars like Swanson and whatnot. So I think I'd rather just take the guaranteed established MLB playing time that guys around there offer. Yeah. You alluded to it there, Kevin, my my question to you is going to be, look at that ADP of teammate Evan Carter versus Langford in DC's Langford's at around 136, 137. Carter's going six picks later. Evan Carter is at 142. I can do math. That's six. Yeah, that's close enough. <laughs> you, you have to pull the trigger on one of them. And I didn't put Carter and Linkford together in, in our game. So I think this is a valid question. Does it make sense to push Linkford over Carter based on all the question marks? Or I, I guess I don't get it. 
No, it absolutely does not. In my opinion, I agree with both of you, but it depends on the draft and some drafts, these guys fall right in our current on the wire listener league. The guys you guys are mentioning went a couple, two or three rounds earlier. Ian Happ went two rounds earlier. Swanson and Carter both went three rounds earlier. And then Lankford was still there. That's where I drafted him. And that's the type of draft where I'll take the chance. I'm not pushing him up above those guys. The same specific guys you all just mentioned. Uh, I wouldn't push him above. But when in a certain some drafts, they're going to drop. Yeah, I don't have the draft board for that. We should clarify, this listener league is a 12-teamer. It's going to play a little bit different than the 15-teamer. It is a fab league, of course, as well. I do A 12-team fab league is, is exactly the type of league where you should be taking that extra risk on these players. In my opinion, you, know, you can only have so much risk to go around, but the, the replacement value on the wire throughout the course of the season is going to be a whole lot better than in a deeper league in a 15-teamer. Yep. And, and I had that exact decision to make. And in fact, in my queue, mm-hmm. I had George Springer ahead of Wyatt Langford. And then that was my decision at the time. And I decided, okay, this is late enough to gamble. And Will Garofalo is drafting after me in that round. And I had told him that was my decision. And he thanked me for leaving him George Springer. So it's not the decision he would have made. Yeah, fair enough. It's always nice when you can do nice things for others in a draft room. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> always thinking of others, Kevin. Well done. All right, guys, we're going to push along. We're going to get right into our game. And this is, of course, ask avoid stream keep and we're doing it rookie additions all the groupings here are all players that should if i did my math correctly keep their rookie eligibility going into 2024 some of them are prospects with no experience some of them have some experience at the end of last year again didn't quite hit that marker to lose their rookie eligibility though which is nice for them you got to avoid one which means you're not drafting them even in a 50 round draft champion you can stream one, which means most likely you're not dra- like you wouldn't draft them in a fab league, but you'd be looking to stream them throughout the course of the season. Or you could look at it as you would draft them in your reserve rounds of a DC and then stream them in as a team streamer. In that scenario, you got to keep one, aka you got to draft them in a gladiator. You got to you feel com- confident that they're going to play all year round um, and they're going to be productive for you. So you have to pick one. Kevin, you finally got you got it going with the rules. You're, you've been abiding by them. I appreciate that. We're going to continue. Two weeks in a row so far. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give the I'm going to go back and forth and get I'll get both of your guys' like votes on either one. But I'll let Kevin, I'll take you. will take the lead on this first one. These are some of the guys that are going pretty high in drafts. We've talked about, we've talked all but two of them for the most part at some point during the show. Well, let's lump them all together right now. You have your choices are Jackson Holiday, of course, no experience, little tiny experience at AAA at the very end of last year for the Baltimore Orioles. You have Evan Carter, who did get his experience at the end of last year. And as Jake mentioned, did some stuff in the postseason. You might have heard about it. And then Kyle Manzardo traded from Tampa Bay to Cleveland, now first base prospect for the Guardians. Holiday, Carter, and Manzardo are your options. Lots of things to consider. ADP, you have to consider where they're going currently right now because this is we're talking about drafts that you would do right now in late November, early December. How you would how you would prioritize these guys? Yeah, Evan Carter's the easy keep here for me for for everything that Jake said about him when we were talking about Langford for and and it's not just that he was on the team 
and performed well for September and the postseason. It's where he was hitting in the lineup during the postseason. Are you going to send your number three hitter back to AAA? I don't think so. So on your World <laughs> Series championship team, uh, the team has confidence in him. He's the only one we know is going to, or I believe we know, is going to start the season with the team and then throw in the performance and everything. And, and, and he was awesome. So that one's easy for me. This is almost a toss-up between Winsardo and Holiday. I know Holiday is the, the the much higher ranked prospect, but we 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 just don't know for certain what these guys are are or what's going to happen with with these guys. Most of us assume Holiday is probably starting the season with Baltimore. They'd love to get another pick in twenty twenty five, like they're going to get in twenty twenty four, due to Gunnar Henderson winning. AL Rookie of the Year, and Holiday would give them a chance to do that. At the same time, they they have a pretty stacked lineup, and, and it's going to mean moving some things around. So they could also wait a couple of weeks and get an extra year of uh, of control. Um, maybe that ends up being a month. Maybe it comes up in May. We don't know. And kind of the same with Manzardo. Had a great Arizona Fall League. Most people assume he's going to break camp with the Guardians and be the everyday first baseman or at least be the first baseman versus right-handed pitching him and and uh, Josh Naylor switching back and forth between first base and designated hitter. I think that's what most people think that's probably going to happen. We don't know. I think that as far as... <laughs> I just can't say I'm going to avoid Jackson Holiday. So uh, he's my streamer. Um, you're not going to be able to stream him, but he is. And I'll let Manzardo go. The caveat here is the first bit of news that we get on either one of these guys, as far as a club saying that they are opening the season with the team, they become, they they. that's the guy I want in that spot. Yeah, that, that's probably fair. I think I have more exposure to Holiday already in just like the, four drafts that I've been part of than I thought I would. <laughs> it's just how the cards felt. But I guess I'll be happy to have him where I'm getting him rather than getting him a little bit later um, in draft season when there's a little bit more certainty. There's something to be said about the fact that I think the American League, specifically Rookie of the Year talent pool, is going to be tough. It's going to be tough for any one player to come out no matter how good of a prospect they are, no matter where they land, what team they're on, to be almost like a guaranteed lock. Like Corbin Carroll was the odds-on favorite to win NL Rookie of the Year last year, I believe. And lo and behold, Gunnar Henderson was one of the top three choices, I think, going in to if you were placing a futures bet on that. This year, I feel like there's quite a few options players that we're not even talking about today that have a, a pretty good shot so the competition i wonder if that plays a role into the decision making that baltimore might have to force holiday up early or like you said kevin hold them back until the end of april just to get that extra year they have to balance that pick versus the guaranteed extra year versus the possibility of the pick um so something to consider there jake do you line up with what kevin said with your avoid stream keep there or do you have it do you have a strong opinion in a different direction yeah i would definitely agree with 
Evan Carter as a keep for sure. And I, I think I'll actually switch and, and avoid Jackson Holiday, which is it just feels wrong, <laughs> but I think it's just the reason I couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I, and I get that. Cause I'm feeling that, but I think with Jackson holiday, I it's you look at the roster and it's a, there's a clear path for him to start opening day as a shortstop roster resource actually has him pencil in there as this opening day shortstop. And so if that happens, the price is going to be crazy and there's going to be a lot of hype and I can't disagree with the hype, but I think that Jackson Holiday still has some like development that needs to happen. I think in specifically in the power department, he hit uh, across four levels, 7, 10, 12, 12 homers in almost 500 plate appearances looks like. And it's the ISOs weren't great. They were all under 200. His largest sample size was 259 plate appearances in high A with an ISO of 174. Now his plate approach is great. You know that he walks a ton. He doesn't strike out a ton, and the speed is solid. He stole twenty four bases across those four levels. So, you know, it, but it's it's like there's upside, right? If there was like in the case of Julio, in the case of Jordan Walker, like in the case of Wyatt Langford, I, I think that those guys have more pop. You know, they have more power. They can mm-hmm. slug, and I and I don't think Holiday is quite there yet. He, I think he's going to grow into it, but I think that he might not be the run producer that we might hope uh, out of the gate. Uh, and I think that, that would be enough. That's not a huge concern because I still have faith in him as a player, but I think that that is enough in my mind to just keep me away for now. And as like, the price gets higher, it's going to be more difficult to take him there too. So, so yeah, I think that does it. And the, we have a very small amount of stat cast data from when he was in AAA. He was only there for 91 plate or 104 plate appearances. And in that, just to give a very small sample size a snapshot, it was a 6% barrel rate, a 78% contact rate. And so the max exit velo was 104.9, average exit velo is 90.9. You're not going to be able to tell much from those. That's mm-hmm. 100 plate appearances. But I would probably feel a bit differently if I saw maybe a bit better, a bit higher on that. If he hit a ball 109, 110, if he had gotten a couple more barrels. And so it's just, it's that's not enough to maybe give me more confidence. And so it's just hard for me to buy in now. Uh, now, Dynasty is a different story, right? He's still the guy. And even I think next year, he'll be drafted pretty high. Like he'll, I'm sure he'll turn it on at some point this year and, and catch fire. And I think, again, he develops the power. I just, I don't think out of the gate, it's going to be worth the the draft cost. I feel like you're describing like the small sample size we got out of like, O'Neill Cruz yeah. and like that hard hit rate in, in a very small sample size. You're you look like at that and you're like, I oh, can dream on it. It doesn't yeah, exactly, matter. Exactly. You That's can the see kind it. of conversation you want to be having about a holiday, but you're not there yet. All right. Well, Jake, I'll let you take the lead on this one. This is our middle infield rookie eligible players that all debuted last year at some point or another. But if, again, if I did my math correctly, they're all rookie eligible going into 2024. I like doing these groups too, because it's like, all right, I I feel as though the first group, the keep was the easy one. This one, it makes the keep the hardest one. And in my opinion, I would like to see what you guys think about this. I'm talking about Ronnie Maruccio in New York with the Mets, second base, Marco Luciano, who has recently announced that he does not have the starting shortstop job for the Giants, regardless of Brian Crawford exiting and opening up that position. Michael Bush of the LA Dodgers, not looking like the Dodgers actually want him around. I'm not sure <laughs> the way that they uh, called him up for a day and then sent him back down. And then you just feel like, come on, just give the guy, give the guy a shot. At. But 
what's your take on these? How, how are you handling these three guys? You got to keep one. You got to stream one. You get, you can avoid the other one. Yeah. So I think for me, the keep is definitely Mauricio, Ronnie Mauricio infielder for the Mets. I think he'll find his way into playing time. He's a switch hitter. McNeil could always go play like left field where they do have an opening. Mauricio could play second. And I, I see him since, again, since he's already been up with the Mets, he's already gotten good playing time at the end of the year. I think I'm more, most confident in him. And plus the, the power aspect. I think he has the most well-rounded profile of these three guys where Bush has the power, but not quite the speed. Mark Luciano maybe has like contact speed, but not quite as much power. And then I think Mauricio has, has a nice blend of, of all of them. So I think Mauricio rounded as a best chance at playing time. And then stream, I would go Luciano because even though he doesn't have that job right now, I, there's not a lot of competition for it as the roster sits right now. They could be aggressive, but there's also not a ton of shortstops available in trades or free agency. And so I think that he could very well take it. It's not going to, yeah, it's not going to give it to him, but there's not also a lot of others like uh, Casey Schmidt was horrible last year. I loved him. I was so high on Casey Schmidt and then he really disappointed. So I'm not thinking that he's going to take it. And then outside of that, it's, there's not much. So I think he gets that role enough to be streaming eligible worthwhile there. And then Bush is the avoid just because like you said, the Dodgers just don't seem confident in giving him that, that playing time. I think especially with the Jason Hayward signing, I think Bush could have taken that Jason Hayward Hayward role off the bat from last year, this year. It could have been that guy that kind of comes in and in DHs or hits as, as a platoon hitter. And I think so it just makes it a little bit more tough and they just haven't been, they haven't given him the space to go and do it yet. At least Luciano got up and, and was a bit more consistent with playing time last year too. And and, and then Bush also just has the pretty big hole in, in his swing. And it's just a little bit too much swing and miss compared to the other guys. All right. Kevin, you feel any differently about this or did Jake nail it? I just, I, I agree with Mauricio, but I, I'm avoiding Luciano. I know it was only 78 plate appearances at AAA and 45 at the major league level, but he, even 242 plate appearances with a th- nearly 30% strikeout rate at A, and then yeah. that ballooning to 35.9 at AAA and 37.8 uh, at the major league level. Uh, he's going to have to, I, I, I'm not so sure we see him. I, I think that's why the giants are already backtracking. Uh, and, and unless we see, I think he, first of all, he's going to have to prove it at triple a. I don't think he starts the, the season at the major league level. And I don't know if he can prove that he, he can uh, bring that strikeout rate down at least right away. Uh, and so for that reason, he's my avoid, but, uh, I, I agree with most of what Jake said. Yes. All right. Well, Kevin, I'll let you take this. Uh, cause I feel like Jake, you've probably talked about these guys, uh, plenty. Uh, <laughs> these are your first, your player draft guys that oh, are yeah. also being drafted within the top 300 in mo in most redrafts going on right now. We have Dylan Cruz, Wyatt Langford, which we've already talked about quite a bit. And then Paul Skeen. So this will be the only mix and match of hitters and pitchers that I do on you, Kevin. I'll let you take the lead on this one. Go. All these guys were all drafted in the top five picks of the major league draft. They're going in the top five picks of most first year player drafts, even with the Japanese players coming over as well. So how are you handling them in the redraft formats that we're talking about? Yeah, I'm. 
I I have drafted Wyatt Langford, so he he's gonna be my keep here. I did not draft him in a gladiator, which is the way you frame it. But if he dropped far enough, I probably would. I do understand there there are some playing time concerns as far as the roster the Rangers already have. I I just don't think with right now roster resource has Ezekiel Durant as a designated hitter. And I like Durant, but with Mitch Garver gone, I don't think I don't think Durant is sliding in as an everyday DH for the Rangers. So I think there's some room to move some things around there. And so I like Wyatt Langford as my keep. The other two are tough. The word we talked earlier about Guys like Paul Skeens, he doesn't have to start the season with the team to be valuable in a draft champions league. So I think that's the way I'm going to go. It's not anything against Dylan Cruz, especially we talked over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Washington Nationals appear to be one of these teams that that could be a surprise, right? The, the offensive lineup isn't that bad. A couple things go their way. A couple of these guys come up and all of a sudden that's a decent lineup and they could be a year or two ahead of schedule. And we're, we will love Dylan Cruz, but the, for the way that we've been talking about these pitchers, I, I think dreamer and somebody I would draft in a draft and hold. Jake, like I said, I know you talked about these guys plenty. You wrote about them plenty. Do you have a different take on these guys? Knowing, again, 2024, redraft specifically. Obviously, they play a little bit differently in a dynasty format. These, I want to say this is not so much unprecedented, but maybe it is. Like the fact that we've got three guys who got drafted in the major league draft <laughs> just yeah. this past June that we're talking about. And I'm going to correct myself. Dylan Cruz is going around pick 500, not 300 in, in DCs. But the other two guys are going in the top 300, and one of them is a pitcher that just got drafted. Do you have any different take than what Kevin was talking about on these three guys going into 2024 redraft leagues? Yeah, I actually, so we so we agreed on Skeens being the streamer, but I actually had Langford and, and Cruz swapped, and that's entirely just based on draft cost. Like, it's because there's 300, 400 picks between them, and I think that they might end up being a bit more similar than we'd expect. I think, and I also just like buying the dip on Cruz because he got similar amount of playing time, but he didn't hit the ground running. He didn't absolutely light everything up. And But I, I don't think many of the skills have changed. I don't think that he's automatically just lost a lot of the things that we loved about him in the in draft season. And so I think that I'm just kind of rather buy the dip on of those two guys, the one that hasn't quite performed and gotten the Twitter hype or the X hype. And then also just the opportunity cost, the, the draft cost of taking Langford up there. And yeah, and then Skeens, I think that like Kevin said, he's going to come up at some point and think he'll be valuable for streaming. You just, he can be valuable if he doesn't go out, out of the gate. So yeah, I just had, I had Cruz. I know it's, it, he's going at 500 and he's not really someone you'd love in a, like a gladiator, but I think he's just, I sure. like him more just based off of how much he costs right now. Fair enough. Yeah. I don't expect, I expect, I, I say this all the time when we talk about a Pirates prospect because their AAA team is here in Indianapolis. I, I feel yeah. like I'm going to have to time it perfectly if i want a shot at seeing him <laughs> uh in at triple a personally because i don't think he's spending a whole lot of time uh <laughs> as we're talking about all these yep. pitchers going from double a right to the majors strong possibility he skipped it all together the pirates haven't really done that they've 
they haven't really done the whole skip thing. They've had some players that didn't spend a whole lot of time at AAA, but they do hit up Indianapolis for a series or two, at least. All right, let's go to this grouping, Jake, of just our international imports of players. Uh, A couple of them we talked about already. And there's obviously a big swing in ADP on all these guys. We'll see how much of a gap that changes when they finish their posting process. But of course, we're talking about Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who has been posted already, not signed yet. Shota Imanaga, as we talked about extensively early on in the show. And then Jung-Hung Lee. So I correct myself again. This will be the second time that we do a grouping where there's a mixture of pitchers and hitters. This time, two pitchers, one hitter, Jake I ask you the same question as all these other groupings. Who are you avoiding? Who are you keeping? And who are you streaming and why? All right. Uh, avoiding uh, Imanaga, um, mostly because of what we talked about earlier, that ERA I think can can get scary. And um, I'll stream Lee uh, because I think I love his, his contact skills. I don't think he's going to offer a ton of power, but he can... Um, offer some speed and he's not being drafted as a starter right now on your fantasy lineups. He's being drafted in like the late 300s and draft champions from what I saw. And so he could be a bench player that you can put in as he gets time, as he has good matchups and can get you good speed and batting average off the bench, which is huge, especially with batting average. That could be very good that late. I think that's awesome. Um, and so, yeah, streaming Lee and then keeping Yamamoto. I, I've done, I did a very deep dive on Yamamoto for this article that uh, will be published on the 30th, November 30th, and tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, and, and I've just, I've tried to find the warts and I ended up, I started with a possible con and then worked myself into how it could be a, a strength. And then it was all, there's just so much to love about him, about the arsenal, about the success that he's found in NPB. He's arguably the best starting pitcher that the NPB has ever seen. He has the lowest ERA of any starter that's thrown at least 700 innings in NPB history. He's really well-rounded and we've seen him in the WBC be successful and work against some big league hitters. So I think Yamamoto is my keep there and I have a lot of confidence in him. I'm definitely excited for him. All right, Kevin, when we talk about like avoiding a lot of these players in their first year, obviously we've seen some success out of Senga and this year flips it is, I'm not sure how much that's playing a role in how you're seeing this, but do you see these players in a different light than Jake or again, did he hit it? No, I, I, I like Yamamoto, but I cannot do it where he's being drafted. He's been drafted as high as 50 overall in a draft champions league. And I just can't do that when we have no idea how he's going to adjust to the culture change. So for and, and average ADP is sixth round in a 15 team league. I'm not touching him there. Uh, so he won't end up being on any of my teams. So evidently he's my avoid. You might, you should yep. probably be dropping drafting Imanaga now because as soon as he signs, we already talked about it. That'll exactly. go up. All right. Two more groupings here, guys. We're going to fly through this one as I haven't said it in a while, but as Nick Pollock will say at every show, we, we have definitely going long on this one and it's a good thing. We got two groupings of pitchers though. None of them have made their major league debut, but have seen quite a bit of success throughout the 2023 season in the, in their various stops in the minor leagues. This first grouping, Kevin, I will start with you. We have Cade Horton of Chicago Cubs, uh, Jackson Joby, who we talked about earlier with Detroit, 
And then David Festa, who, if I'm not mistaken, made Nick Pollock's like top 100 list of his top 200 pitchers going into the pre into the off season of Milwaukee, of the Milwaukee Brewers. These are fun because obviously these are pitchers. They have not debuted. You have to draft one of them in a gladiator. Kevin, who is it going to be? <laughs> well, it wouldn't have been any of them until I saw that Nick had Festa ranked there. So <laughs> that's my guy. And, and, and I like Jackson Job. I like what he was doing early in the Arizona Fall League. So he'll be my streamer. And Kate Horton, I like him. But by default, he's my avoid. Oh, I hate to say that. Horton's the only one I have any uh, exposure to in my dynasty league. Yeah, it's, it's but I've got him protected. Default. We've got weird I'm rules. I'm not going to avoid him for real, Adam. Yeah. It's your rules, though. Just, they are the rules. They are them the rules. I have one piece of Festa as well. I dropped, it was like my last pick, I think, in our 15-team listener league. And it was literally a, maybe not might have been the last pick. It just might have been one of the last picks. So I was happy to hear you say that. And it was also the same reason because Nick Pollock had him in his top 100s. Jake, you got a lot more knowledge on these guys than either one of us do. Would you view these guys in a different light or the Kevin using what he has to know about these kind of hit the nail on the head with them? Yeah, I think uh, definitely agree with with Nick and Kevin and, and y'all about uh, Festa. Uh, he's, I, I really like him. I think he's good. And I think he's also the, he's the closest. He was able to throw 12 innings at AAA last year as uh, the only one of these three that's been to AAA. Um, and I think the twins, he's, I think he's the next guy up out of, uh, their minor leaguers. Um, and I think that they're, they have a solid MLB rotation, even losing Sonny Gray and Kenta Maeda. I think that they will potentially need some more innings if Paddock can't t- t- tackle as high of a load as he might have otherwise before the injury, or if Louis Varlin, maybe they want to put him in the pen. Uh, and I think Festa can definitely get innings. So I agree with Festa. And then I had Horton and Job swapped simply because we talked about it earlier with Detroit. There's a lot of competition there, and Job has only had his one start in AA. And so I think that now the best pitching prospects usually rise the quickest, right? Like Yuri Perez last year. And Job could be on that kind of level. He is that good. So I wouldn't be surprised if he proved me wrong. But I think right now I'm just going off of the probability of a guy, even with the kind of what I talked about earlier, how pitchers are mm-hmm. getting up faster. That's just the six innings in double A is, is just not quite what I'd love to see. I think Job is the most talented of them, but I think for redraft, I'll, I'll stay away. All right. All right. We have one last grouping of pitchers, young pitchers who have not made their debut yet. They have made their names for themselves in other ways. Drew Thorpe of the New York Yankees, if I'm not mistaken, just got minor league pitcher of the year award. Jake, you would know better than I, but I remember seeing something come through in the last day or two on that. Maybe it was just the Yankees minor league play, uh, pitcher of the year in the, in their system. And then Jacob Mizorowski, who turned some heads in the, uh, in the futures game this past year for the Milwaukee Brewers, another Brewers pitching prospect. I think we expect to see at some point this year. And then Jared Jones, another Pirates pitcher, wondering who makes their debut first, Paul Skeens or, or Jared Jones. Jake, lead us off here. Who are you avoiding? You have to keep one of them. You have to draft one of them in a gladiator, and then one of them you get to stream. I would draft Jared Jones in a gladiator. And I, and I don't think that's 
being like ironic or not serious. But I think that of this, these guys, the kind of the minor league pitching prospects, the guys that aren't quite high that we're talking about, like I think I would actually draft Tara Jones in a gladiator, probably around 23. But I think that he comes up fairly quickly. And I think that he has the stuff to, to keep a role. Now, I think there are better options probably potentially at the end you only of the have draft. three options though so you have to play by the rules yeah, yeah that's fair in an actual gladiator <laughs> sure but you know by the in this i think i'm absolutely taking jared jones and then in real life i might actually take him in gladiator which because I, I love him okay uh and so yeah jared jones the keep for me and thorpe thorpe is the avoid um he did win minor league pitcher of the year like o- overall too thank you he, all right thank yep you. <laughs> uh the other finalists were kate horton and oh, what was that third i just had it robbie snelling of the padres and so, yeah, so Thorpe did win that award, but again, I think he has a tough hill, high hill to, to climb with the competition in the Yankees org. And I think I just, I've seen more from Beater and Warren. I've watched them more. I think they're much closer. They'd have more kind of experience at the top. And I think I'd rather just avoid Thorpe because I have some stock already in, in those others. And then Mizorowski. I think is the the stream here because he's just so dang good, so dang electric. <laughs> it's some there's some of the hot times when you could put on your neutral cap and look at something from an unbiased perspective and be like, oh, he's too far away, or he's the, there has these warts. But I, like you watch Miz in the the Futures what game. the Futures game, yeah, thank yeah. you. In the Futures game, and it's just one of those where it's like really hard yeah. to be neutral. You're watching him pump in like 100, 101, and just blowing guys away. It looks so Every- good. Oh God, yeah. And the Brewers have some openings. Uh, I would much rather have Gasser, I think, if I was going to choose between them for a redraft. But Mizorowski is obscenely talented, and I think that he will make that jump up and get some really valuable starts for fantasy teams. So I'd, I'd love to stream him when he's up, for sure. That was going to be my my point with both Mizorowski and Festa. And the Brewers have already said they're basically willing to trade anything not nailed down, or at least that's the rumor going around. Not to mention that they've already let Woodruff go, not that he was going to pitch next year anyway, but speculation that Corbin Burns won't be in a Milwaukee uniform. So the rotation may have quite a few openings by the time spring training rolls around and we'll see who can actually fight for it. Who knows? Maybe it'll be one of those situations that kind of goes against what I said earlier and where, where we see them actually call up a pitcher on the opening day roster, just on the off chance that they get enough innings at that level to qualify for the national league rookie of the year. Kevin, Thorpe, Mizorowski, and Jones on this list. You want to echo everything that Jake said, or you want to switch it up? You guys haven't you haven't agreed fully on any of these, so you want to make it a full six? <laughs> I, I, I wanted to, but <laughs> I, I like I like it. Jake. I like all of these guys, but I I think I would draft Mizorowski because, like you guys are talking about, the Brewers need him, and so we may see him sooner than the other guys just for that fact. They need him. And that's the only difference I have and the only disagreement at all is he's I would draft him just for the fact that I think if not right away, we will see him very soon in the Brewers rotation. Yeah, I was actually a little surprised that especially after all the heads he turned in the futures game, he didn't get a cup of coffee in September in Milwaukee after they were after they'd finally fallen out completely of that playoff race at the end. But, you know. To, be, to each their own, I guess. Um, all right. That that wraps it up, guys. Well done. We almost hit the two-hour mark. I apologize for not stretching it out a little bit further. <laughs> I guess I could, but 
Jake, before Kevin, before I give you the opportunity to drop in your final words of wisdom, Jake, why don't you remind everybody who made it all the way through what you're working on? You touched on some of it already, where they can find your work and any, anything else worth uh, plugging. Yeah, definitely. So as you mentioned earlier, co-host of On The Wire, the Dynasty Prospect. On the farm, uh, you're on the wire right now. Oh my gosh. Oof, there's... <laughs> Wow, it's okay. been that long um, of a episode. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, on the farm, prospects and dynasty podcast for Pigilist. So that is going to be uh, published on Thursdays, every other Thursday, starting next week. And so that'll be good. The we had our first kind of episode after the the little break after the season that was published on Wednesday. And then we're going to get into some more off-season content. Definitely be on the lookout for that. Same place you can find this podcast on the Pitchless Podcast Network. And then you can find me on X at Jake Mash, M-A-I-S-H. And do articles here and there, doing the one on the players coming over from the, the East Asian leagues. I think some helping out the, the Dynasty team when, where possible too. So yeah. Yeah, make sure you are following anything that Jake writes over on the site. And then obviously on the farm is going to be going on the regular, as you said, every other week throughout the off season, it'll go weekly by the time spring training rolls around as most of the pods on the network will tend to do as well. We will be here weekly throughout because Kevin and I just can't stop doing this. Kevin, leave us with any kind of nuggets that we can take into December. This is any player in any draft, but especially the types of players we've talked about in this episode. You got to trust your gut quite a bit. You can absorb all the information you can, read up on it yourself, read articles that Jake and many others in the industry write, listen to podcasts. But once you form an opinion on these types of players and you have a, a strong feeling one way or the another that you've developed after going through all that, trust yourself because none of us know when it comes to these guys, especially even more so than the more established players in the league. Tr trust your own opinion. I, I like that you basically said, why did you listen to anything that we no, just said? No, I said absorb it all first. <laughs> <laughs> absorb it and then just spit it. No, of course. You, and I said this last week, you're making the picks. You're building the teams. They're your decisions. So everything Kevin just said is absolutely true. Of course. All right, that guys is going to wrap it up for episode 140 of on the wire. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. And of course, follow the pod at on the wire pod. I'd like to once again, thank our guest Jake Mace for joining us this week. You can follow him at the Twitter as well at the same name. Follow on the farm at PL on the farm on the Twitter machine. After all that, I am Adam Howe, and on behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye.